0: Uh, we're, we're excited about Romans chapter 8, right? I was really excited last week, and I'm trying to be just as excited every week as we continue in this book of Romans, because there are so many amazing truths in this book. Uh, so uh, let's just be so excited, because uh, if we can't be excited about Romans 8, well, there's not a lot we can be excited about. All the good stuff is here. Uh, so let's let's uh, just worship the Lord. Uh, before we get into the message, let's ask Him for uh, help as we try to uh, just... Learn what he has for us this week. Uh, Lord God, we come to you this morning just humble and acknowledging, uh, Lord, that uh, sometimes we have a difficult time uh, possibly understanding everything uh, that you have done for us, Lord. We, we can't fully grasp it all. But Lord, uh, that's why we're taking this, this uh, Romans chapter 8 in, in small pieces and trying to Understand it, Lord, so that we can give you all the glory for all that you have done, Lord. So help us now as we come to you, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that uh, you would illuminate the scriptures for us. Help us to understand, Lord. And Lord, uh, may you get all the glory because uh, this chapter 8 is all about giving glory to you, Lord. And we thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what do you think uh, your chances would be if you came face to face? With a grizzly bear. Uh, Probably not too good, right? You can't outrun it, and you sure can't outclimb it, and you can't outswim it. Uh, There is nothing that you can do in your own power to escape the grizzly bear. Uh, He's going to catch you, and if he wants to, he's going to kill you. Uh, That's the reality when we're dealing with somebody, with a creature who is greater and stronger and more powerful uh, than us. Uh, And the experts say that the only chance that you have is to play dead. You fall down. Uh, You act as though you're dead. You don't breathe. You don't move. You don't flinch. Uh, You don't blink. You don't do anything. You do absolutely nothing. And the reason is that bears tend to be very defensive. And so if they perceive you as a threat, well, then they're going to kill you or damage you. But if they don't think you're a threat, then they may just sniff at you and then they move on uh, in another direction. And that's the theory anyway. Uh, Never been in that position, thankfully. It's really hard to put all your eggs in the play dead basket, right? Uh, You have one shot. And you're gonna lay there, pretend you're dead, let the bear sniff you up and down and pray that he's not going to take a swipe at you that's going to end your life. That's the plan, that's the plan, right? This is the best we can do. That's what uh, the, our, our, our experts tell us. But what if it doesn't work? Well, I don't wanna think about what happens if it doesn't work, that's the end of the story, right? Our instinct is to try to save ourselves, to try and run as fast as we can, to climb a tree, to hide behind a rock, do something to save ourselves in our own power. But that is not going to work because the bear is physically superior to us. It will catch us no matter what we do. It can smell us no matter where we're hiding. Uh, So what we would typically rely on, our own strength, our own power, that's not gonna work when we come face to face with a bear, and so we have to do the exact opposite of what we would normally want to do, to try to save ourselves in our own power. That's not what we do. We rely on nothing except doing nothing. We do absolutely nothing and pray uh, that if, the, if we play dead, that we may live. Now, obviously, I'm using this as a metaphor for salvation in Christ, right? I hope you all caught that, uh, that this is just a metaphor. Uh, it's human nature for us to think that we can do things to save ourselves. We want to contribute to our salvation. We want to work. We want to do things and say that we've done something to contribute to our own salvation. Uh, but Paul's message here is that, no, we don't do anything. Uh, we have to, to be saved. We have to play dead in the sense that we don't do anything we rely on what jesus christ has done for us he's already done all the work Uh, we believe in him and when we believe in him when we trust in him to save us that's when we really begin to live and so verses two to four is all about how we have been saved uh, by what god has done through jesus christ and by the power of his holy spirit and when we receive him as our Savior, then we are freed from the power of the law of sin and death, and then we really can begin to live. And so that is what we're going to be talking about today. So we'll read verses uh, 1 through 4 of chapter 8. I want uh, verse 1 just so we can revisit this glorious no condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free From the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you remember last week we talked about the what of salvation right the what is therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus that's romans 8 1 that's the thesis statement of all of chapter 8 and everything that follows in chapter 8 is uh, support paul's support for his thesis statement. When we believed in in Christ Jesus as our Savior, well, our salvation was sealed, and we were justified, we were saved, we have right legal standing before God, and uh, we can never lose that salvation. That's Romans 8.1, and we talked about that last week. And in the rest of chapter 8 now, uh, support for the thesis statement. So, uh, we have the what, no condemnation. This week, we're going to see the how. How is it possible that we have no condemnation? What has God done? And we'll also look at the why. Why has God done what he has done? And so what we see is that the law cannot save us from the power of sin and death, but God can save us from the power of sin and death. And what the law was not able to do because of our own human weakness god is able to do because his power is greater than the power of the law of sin and death and though we can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law in ourselves jesus christ has done that for us uh, so that he has done what we are not able to do and so what we've seen so far is that we might think that the law is bad but no paul says over and over again no the law is not bad the law is good the law is holy but we are flawed. It's the weakness of our own flesh that makes the law unable to save because we can't keep it. So there's nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with us, but we understand from the law that the law's power is limited, right? It's it's meant to shine a light so that we might see our sin and repent of it, Uh, but it can't save. But thankfully, God's power is unlimited. God is mighty to save uh, as the hymn goes. And he has the power to overcome everything that is lacking not only in the law, but in us as well, and to bring us to saving faith. And he has the power through the Holy Spirit not only to save us, but also to help us to live holy and victorious lives. And what we saw in Romans chapter 7 is the believers struggle with sin. Uh, Paul was frequently defeated by his sin nature, and he lamented that, uh, who will save me from this body of death, but in Romans chapter 8, he turns the corner, and now we have this glorious ability to do what the, what the Holy Spirit would have us do by his power, uh, so the, the lament of chapter 7 is, is answered uh, by the power of God to achieve uh, for us and in us what we can never achieve for and in ourselves, and that's what Romans 8 is all about. So having explained the what of no condemnation, our salvation, Paul proceeded to explain the how and the why. So let's look at the how. There's a couple of hows. The first one is in verse 2, and we see that it's through the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, this word for, we understand, is a transitional word, right? Uh, Paul is now moving on to something else. Uh, Paul stated the fact of no condemnation in verse one, and now he explains how there can be no condemnation here in verse two, and it's because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, the law, of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a bit of a difficult phrase, right? So let's see if we can kind of break that down a little bit and understand it. What is this law? Well, One thing we need to understand is that sometimes when Paul uses the word law, he's talking about the law, right? Capital L, Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible, the Mosaic Law. But but other times when he's using this word law, he's talking about a rule or a principle. And that's what he's referring to here. This is not the Ten Commandments. This is just a a rule or principle uh, when he uses the word. Like, for example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, Paul wrote, Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? Of works. No, not by works, but by a law of faith. Now, there's no specific law of faith, right? We understand that Paul is using the word here as a rule or a principle. And the principle is that faith in Christ Jesus saves. And so that's what he's talking about here. It's a rule or a principle. And so this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a principle that when we are saved, we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit, and by that uh, spirit, we live. That's the rule, that's the principle, which is essentially a synonym for the gospel, right? We receive the Lord Jesus Christ, as Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit, we are saved, and our salvation is sealed. And now the Holy Spirit has work to do in the life of a believer, So we would ask then, how does this happen? How is it that the Holy Spirit does this work? And so we we start by thinking about if we, if we were to think about all of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, I don't know that we'd ever get through uh, Romans chapter 8. But the one ministry of the Holy Spirit that Paul doesn't mention here by name is the ministry of regeneration. That's what Paul is talking about here, right? We are being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, regenerated so that we might believe and be saved. So Paul doesn't use the word, but that's what he's talking about. Before we were saved, we were dead in our sins, right? We were all dead in our sins in a state of spiritual death, unable to save ourselves. And not just playing dead like the grizzly bear sniffing around us, but actually dead, like being lowered into the grave uh, in a casket. And so dead things need some source, uh, some outside source, if they're going to be brought back to life again. Lazarus was dead. He needed Jesus to bring him back to life again. He had no life in himself because dead things uh, cannot live. And in the same way, each one of us was spiritually dead until the Holy Spirit did his remarkable work. We had no hope of being brought back to life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit works to draw us to him, uh, and then to lead us to saving faith. And then at the moment of saving faith, to indwell us. And that indwelling lasts forever, the moment we believe. And at that moment, we are spiritually alive. We are raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to those who are in Christ. And that's the same phrase we saw last week in verse 1. Those who are in Christ have believed in Christ. They have received the Holy Spirit. They are saved. And this indwelling uh, Holy Spirit sets people free. It sets us free from the power of sin and death, or the law of sin and death, as Paul put it. So that's another small-l law. You see that? That's not the Ten Commandments, the law of sin and death. Small-l, it's the rule or the principle that we have violated God's law, we have violated his commandments, and we are worthy of condemnation. We are worthy of death. But... The good news is that when we have two laws at work, uh, one trumps the other. And because the law of God, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, is so much more powerful than the law of sin and death, well, the law of spirit in Christ wins, even though the law of sin and death is awfully powerful. But it's like a tug of war where you have, say, 10 NFL linemen on one side of the rope and a kindergartner on the other side of the rope, right? It's a total mismatch. The kindergartner is going to end up in the muddy middle, right? Covered in mud and, and muck and all kinds of things uh, because the power of the spirit of life in Christ is so much more powerful than the law of, of sin and death. And so the law of sin and death is powerless to stop the law of the spirit of life in Christ from saving us, uh, and we no longer live under the law and sin's tyrannical reign. And so we look at this verb, has set us free. Uh, That that verb, uh, the tense of that verb, indicates once and for all action that lasts forever, for all time. We never have to worry that the law of sin and death is going to pop up its head again and and lay claim to us no the the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus is the thing that now rules our life and so we're freed for all time so the first how of salvation is through the spirit of life in christ jesus but there's another way there is another thing necessary another how of salvation and that is through God sending Jesus as a sin offering. Of course, the first thing uh, through the spirit of life uh, in Christ Jesus would not be possible unless God first sent Jesus to us as a sin offering. And that is what verse three tells us. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now in verse two, Uh, Paul was talking about the law as a rule or as a principle. But here in verse 3, now he's talking about the law again, capital L, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, the first five books, uh, all of that. Uh, This is God's law, and it's meant to show us his perfect standard of holiness. And holy is a word that we use often to describe God, don't we? It's kind of a word that we just throw out there. God is holy, and we know that that's true, but we don't often define that word. So let's just take a second to define it. Uh, it may be one of the most difficult attributes of God to define because it's not one of the attributes that we share in, right? Like we have the ability to love, uh, to forgive, to be faithful, and God has all those things. But, but holiness is not something that we share with God. That's not one of uh, the attributes that we share. And this word holy comes from the word hagias, uh, which means separate, uh, distinct. Uh, completely other. Uh, So God is completely separate, distinct, and other from us. Uh, We are one thing. We are uncreated. uh, uh, We are created creatures, uh, sinful creatures, uh, but yet God is completely other from us. He is uncreated. He is perfect. He is pure. And that's what it means to say that he is holy. Now, when the Bible calls us holy, which it does on several occasions, it's on the basis of our faith In Jesus, and on what Jesus has done, not in anything that we have done. Because holiness is not in us, it's applied to us when we believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation, but God is holy without any help. It's an essential attribute of who God is. And since the law comes from this holy God, Well, the law is holy too. It's completely other. It's separate and distinct from human nature, separate and distinct from anything that we could ever achieve in our own power. It's an impossible standard. And so again, we see that there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with us. The law can't save because of the weakness of our own flesh. That's the problem. And this word flesh is a word that Paul uses to describe our sinful human nature. We'll see that throughout Romans, throughout Paul's letters, the flesh means the sinful, innate human nature that is prone to sin. And so we want what we want. And our pride and our greed and everything that's inherent in us wars against the things that God wants. His holiness is, is completely antithetical to our sin nature. And so God is holy, perfect, and pure, but we, on the other hand, are not. And we battle against what God wants for us. And that's why the law convicts us. And because it convicts us, uh, it judges us guilty, and it sentences us to death, and we deserve it. But thank God that in his mercy, he had a plan to save us from our sin. And the plan was that God sent his son uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, And this speaks to Jesus' eternality. Uh, It's not stated as explicitly here as it is in Philippians chapter two, uh, but Jesus did not become the son at his birth. And God did not become the father when Jesus was born. Uh, This relationship is eternal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have existed eternally in perfect relationship with each other for all time. They had no beginning. They have always existed in this harmony with each other. And before creation, the members of the Trinity, uh, in their sovereignly ordained wisdom, uh, devised the plan for how mankind would be saved. Now, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are co-equal with God. They are equal in every way in their essence, in their being, in who they are. They are all equally God, but they are different in their function. Each has different roles within the Trinity. And so one of Jesus's roles was to become a man. Uh, To come to the earth, to live a perfect, sinless life, and to be sacrificed uh, on a cross for our sins so that we might live. Now, if this had been a human meeting, uh, Jesus would have stood up and said, you know, that sounds like a really good idea, but I got a better plan. Why don't one of you two go and come to earth and you die on a cross for the sins of these people? But that's not how the members of the Trinity work, right? This is God's eternal plan. Uh, uh, God's plan uh, was to save us uh, by the means that he ordained through Jesus Christ. And this speaks to the love of God now. Why did God create man? Well, it was because he wanted to share himself with us, which means that he wants relationship with his children. And why did God send Jesus? Why did Jesus agree to come? only because of love. We needed saving, and the only way we could be saved was through the blood of Jesus Christ, and so he came voluntarily because of his love for us. In the incarnation, Jesus came in what Paul calls the likeness of sinful flesh. Why didn't Paul just say he came in human flesh? Well, It's because there was something different about Jesus than our own flesh. If if he said he came in the likeness of of, uh, human flesh, he would be missing something, right? He wouldn't be saying that that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. And when we think about that, that is a mind-blowing concept, that that Jesus could be fully God and fully man in the same body at the same time. And we understand that over the course of church history, uh, as uh, theologians have tried to figure out what happened when Jesus came in the incarnation in the early centuries of the church, there were various heresies that arose as they tried to explain this. I don't think these people were uh, malicious in what they were trying to uh, say about Jesus. They just were having a hard time understanding what Jesus accomplished. So uh, they said things like, uh, was he God? Was he man? Was he both God and man? Was he God sometimes and man other times? Uh, did he look like a man but was actually a spirit and not really a man? Was he half God, half man? Uh, the, the church has struggled with these things and, and it's taken, uh, it took the early centuries of the church to figure out exactly who Jesus was, 100% God, 100% man. Uh, But the people who believe that he just looked like a man but was actually a spirit use a verse like this and say that he only appeared in the likeness of sinful flesh but was actually uh, just a spirit. But that's not what Paul meant. He wasn't talking about uh, Jesus in in terms of uh, being a spirit or, and being a man, uh, you know, half of each, or appearing as one but actually being the other. Uh, he was trying to strike a very careful balance here. And so think about it, uh, how else would you say it if you were trying to strike a careful balance between Jesus's full humanity and his sinlessness at the same time? So you might say he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning that he looked like he was part of sinful flesh, but was not actually sinful flesh, even though he appeared just like we appear. And that's what Paul was saying. He was just saying, look, he, he looks like you and I look, but there's something different about him. There's nothing about his appearance that would make us look twice about him and yet uh, at him, but yet there was something quite different about him. And he appeared to be a human, and he was a human, 100% human, except for one thing, that he had no sin nature. He was just like you and me, just without the sin nature. And he had to be fully human if he was going to redeem humanity. So we will never grasp all that happened at the incarnation. It's beyond what we can fathom in our tiny human minds. But we know from scripture that Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. In his humanity, he could be hungry, he could be thirsty, he could be tired. We see that throughout the scriptures. He could experience human emotions. He was happy. He could be angry. Uh, He could be sad. He could grieve. Uh, He could experience human frailties. He could feel pain. Uh, He could bleed. He could face temptation. The only thing he couldn't do was sin. And the fact that that might be hard for us to understand doesn't make it any less true but he could die in his humanity and he did. And Paul said he died as an offering for sin. That's verse three. And of course, Paul is referencing here what we call the atonement in Christianity. Uh, To atone means uh, to pay reparations for a sin or for an offense against someone or an injury. And that's just what Jesus did on the cross. Our sin was an offense to God and it required reparation. Uh, and Jesus' death on the cross made reparation to God for our human sin. And God was satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice and so he raised him from the dead to show that he was satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice and by his sacrifice he paid the penalty for all human sin for all time bringing forgiveness imputing righteousness and reconciling to god those who will trust in him those who paul called those in christ so god condemned our sin in Jesus' flesh So he would not have to condemn sin, our sin, in our own flesh. Jesus already paid the price. And so I want us to notice here the full Trinitarian involvement in our salvation. The work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all necessary in order to redeem us. How are we not condemned? We're not condemned because God sent his Son to die in our place, Uh, so that those who believe will receive the spirit of life and be freed from the law of sin and death. And I think it just shows how mighty a work it is for God to save sinful creatures like us, that it took all three members of the Trinity to get it done. And so that's how we can experience no condemnation. Now, let's talk about the why of no condemnation. What is God's purpose in all of this? The why of salvation is found in verse 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So one answer to the why question that we've already talked about is for our justification. That's so that we could go to heaven, so that we could live forever with God in heaven. We know that the righteous requirement of the law cannot be fulfilled by us because we are sinners. We are incapable of fulfilling the law, but it can be fulfilled in us because of what Jesus has done for us. Where we couldn't hope to fulfill God's law, Jesus did fulfill God's law, and that's what qualified him to be the sacrifice that God demanded for our sin. And so when we placed our faith in him, God applied Jesus's fulfillment of the requirement of the law to us. And so when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus. So who does Paul mean when he says, uh, so, that the law of the require, uh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us? Uh, who is the us? Well, Paul describes who the us is uh, in the latter half of verse 4, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's describing a Christian. A Christian is someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, has received the Holy Spirit, and has now been freed from the penalty of sin and death, but also from sin's power and sin's authority uh, in our lives. So we ask, how Can you tell if someone is a Christian? Well, only God knows the heart, right? I mean, I would not presume to say this person's a Christian and that person isn't. But one indicator is how they live their lives. Uh, We can tell if someone is a Christian by the way they walk. If they walk, that means live according to the Spirit and don't live according to their own uh, flesh. And that just means they're seeking after God, looking to obey him in all things, uh, rather than someone being enslaved to their own sin. And so God did all this so that we could be saved. So our justification is one of the whys, but there's another why here also. And the why, the second why, is for our holiness. Beginning in this second half of verse 4, Paul starts to begin to transition now from, he's been talking about salvation, now he's going to start to move into the realm of sanctification, uh, our desire uh, to become more holy through the power of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, we talked about regeneration, another role is to help us in sanctification. And so remember, God's standard is perfection. God's standard has always been perfection. God's standard did not change when he saved us. He still demands perfection. Jesus came and he said, I have not come to destroy the law. I have come to fulfill it. And Jesus did fulfill it. And he wants us to fulfill it too. And that means that we need to spend our lives becoming more holy. Uh, God wants us to become more holy. So when we sin, we should never just fluff it off and say, oh, well, uh, I'm human, I sin, Uh, you know, God understands that. Well, that's true. We are human and we will sin, but we should never become comfortable with that. Our sin repulses God, and it should repulse us too, the more and more uh, deep we get into our Christian walk. And so God wants us to fulfill this requirement of the law. Holiness is very important to God. He said, you be holy, for I am holy. Uh, God takes holiness very seriously. And so we can only do that by playing dead to the law of sin, our sinful natures, and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our living. Now, we will always have choices to make. Every day, we're going to be confronted with choices to make regarding our own holiness. Sin will confront us all day long. Temptation is everywhere. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid temptation, but we have to learn how to resist it if we want to become more Christ-like. And a Christian will continually, repeatedly make choices that glorify God, uh, that are in accordance with his will by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about obedience to God, it just means listening to the Holy Spirit, hearing his voice, uh, and living according to God's will. We know that the Holy Spirit is right here, living inside of each and every believer. And when we're about to do something wrong, we can hear him in our heads saying, don't do that, that's not the way I have for you to go. And most times we listen to him, but sometimes we don't. We do make mistakes But we have to remember that God wants us to obey him every time, not just some of the time. And when we fail, we confess our sin, we repent of it, we try not to commit that same sin again. And we continue on this upward climb, always reaching higher toward our sanctification. And and sometimes it seems like we're not making a whole lot of progress. And sometimes you have to turn around and look back behind you and see how far you've come to realize just how far it is that you have come. So we'll never be able to say that we have achieved perfect holiness, perfect sanctification, but we should be able to say that we are making progress. uh, And that's what God wants from us. So we should daily strive to become more like Christ. And we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've already seen in Romans that we can't do it apart from Christ and apart from his spirit. Without him, we are in bondage to sin and death. But through the Holy Spirit, we can live this victorious life, free from bondage to the law, free from the power of sin. And we can live this victorious life. And so we don't have to say, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? We can move into grace, greater things than say by the power of the Holy Spirit, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is so good. Uh, He has accomplished so much through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and the Holy Spirit allows us to have all the benefits of Christ's death applied to us so that we can live this victorious life. God tells us what he wants, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us so that we can do what he wants us to do. Jesus had to die an excruciating death in order to save us. And the Holy Spirit continues to mold us and to shape us into what God wants us to be. And so we should wake up every morning just praising God and asking what we can do to glorify him today. And this is just one more reason why Romans 8 is so good and we're only up to verse 4. There's so much more to come. So we've seen the fact of justification. There is no condemnation. We've seen the how of no condemnation. It's through the work of the Father, by sending Jesus, and our receiving the Holy Spirit of life. We've seen the why of no condemnation, so that we might be saved and so that we might live holy lives. So let's think about a couple of applications as we close. And the first one is this. Uh, play dead. It's quite simple, really. We've been talking about this since Romans chapter 6. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Consider yourselves dead to the law. Walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. We have these commands from God through Paul, but now Romans 8 shows us how to live it out, and that's what we're going to see in the coming verses. We simply play dead to the things that formerly antagonized us and enslaved us, and we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be the ruler of our lives, but we have to play dead to sin and to the law. And just like the bear will kill you if he thinks that there is a trace of life in you, If you act like you're alive to sin at all, well, sin is going to rise up and destroy you too. You have to play dead to sin and the law. And then you'll have only one ruler of your life, and that will be the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you into God's will for your life and keep you on track. It takes vigilance and it takes discipline to play dead to sin. But when we do it, then we will truly live. And that's the second application, live. If you played dead and the bear walked away, you wouldn't just continue to lay there until you died, right? You'd get up and you'd live out the rest of your life. And that's what God wants for us. We've died from sin, now get up and go live your life. And that just means living in freedom, uh, the freedom of God's grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you've noticed, How many times in Romans already uh, we have seen this idea of freedom? Paul has said we are free so many times already. Romans chapter 6, verse 7, he who has died is freed from sin. 618, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. 622, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. 7.3, if a woman husband dies and she is is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. 7.24, who will set me free from this body of death? And 8.3, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Freedom is a really big theme in the book of Romans and throughout the New Testament. We are free. We have to lay aside this law of sin that plagues us and live freely free according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We have been freed from sin's penalty, and we've been freed from its guilt, and we've been freed from its power and from its authority, and now we're free to love by the power of the Holy Spirit. So play dead to the law of sin and death. It has no hold over you, and live by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray brothers and sisters Lord God we thank you for this message. It's amazing how much you can say in three verses Lord uh, we have come to grips here with uh, the idea that the, uh, Jesus Christ has come and died for our sin so that we might live forever with you and yet in the meantime while we live here on earth you still have work for us to do and holiness is one of the things that you strive for for us Lord and uh, we, we would pray, Lord, that we would take this message to heart and that we would think about ways that our lives are not holy and pleasing to you, Lord, and that we would look to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, eradicate these things from our lives, Lord. Uh, teach us, show us, Lord, uh, so that we might live according to your will. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, uh, we just can never say enough uh, what everything that he has done. Uh, means to us as we think about our salvation, Lord. We just thank him. We thank him, we thank you, and we praise you in the holy name of Jesus, Lord. Amen.